Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month on motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, worst and best places that these people have been stuck in, places to avoid and places to camp in Africa, and slang words from, well, a bunch of different countries, all that and more coming up. But first, we're going to do some shout-outs for some people who supported the show with $50 or more. Now, hey, listen, we need your support for Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support. Listener support is very important, in particular nowadays with the way things are happening. Our website, adventureriderradio.com, click on the support button. We got a bunch of different ways to do it. Now you can do one-time supports where you you support with a certain amount of money, which is the list that I'm going to read here. You can support monthly on our Patreon account, which we would absolutely love. The more people we get there, the better it is for the show. And we have stickers we send out. And we've also got an ad-free version of Adventure Rider Radio that you get if you sign up for Patreon. So that's our regular show, Adventure Rider Radio. You sign up there and each week you get the ad-free version. That's kind of cool. And we do that just for those supporters. Now I'm going to give a shout out here to these people who supported with $50 or more for this month. Uh, and we really appreciate it. We, we got a number of people this month and it's made a great deal of difference for us. Um, in particular, like I say, in this time. Shout out to Darren Judd. James Granger, Mariah and Damien Schillerin, John Lima, Charlie Matus, Nigel Barnes, Dwight Bodnar, Frederick Devers, Sally Ann Greenwood, Robert Jensen, Dean Hillier, Raymond Drowen, Jason Hill, Michael Margus, Michael Cagle, Jerry O'Boyle, Scott Walsman. Thank you all very much. Huge difference this month with everyone jumping in there. And as I mentioned, we need your support. AdventureRiderRadio.com forward slash support. Now we're going to get going with ARR Raw for April 2020. Great. I'm right. Right. We need Bulgarian ones now, remember, from that person in <laughs> Bulgaria. Yeah, <laughs> which slang or not. That's right. Well, Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of the Pacific Ocean, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular esteemed Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Grant Johnson in British Columbia. Grant, good evening. Good evening, Jim, and everybody else out there. We're uh, not enjoying our lockdown. I'm sure everybody else isn't either. <laughs> I mean, just the term, you know, the, the term, it's, it's yeah. not an endearing term. It's not something you can say and feel good about. No, but what I, when I look at it, I keep telling myself this isn't solitary confinement. This is a place of sanctuary and safety and comfort. And got all my little toys here. Well, some of my toys. Um, and that's okay. You know, you can kind of go along with that. Mm. Think positive. Yep. Yeah, definitely. You definitely want to think positive. I, I'm going to jump over quickly over to Bulgaria. Graham Field is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Good morning, Graham. Good morning. Yeah, I am. I didn't sleep well last night, which meant I was up super early. So um, I'm not just stirring, as we call. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. Ah, well, I can't really say um, the lockdowns changed my life that much. I was social distancing before there was a term for it. So um, everything's just the same here, really. <laughs> Isn't that just called like avoiding people? I'm sure there's other words I can think of. 
I think selectively social is the term. <laughs> Hermit is what was coming to mind. I could, it wasn't on the top. <laughs> Jumping over to the UK, Sam Manicom. Sam, good morning. Hey, top of the morning, everybody. How are you doing? How about you? How are you handling oh, things? Yeah, everything's good here. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, like Grant just said, we're we're lucky. We have a, a roof over our heads and... Um, yeah, um, things are just ticking along very nicely, and um, it's nice to be in touch with everybody via social media. And um, yeah, I was thinking, aren't we lucky with things like Skype and Messenger to be able to talk to friends and to, to see them when we're talking to them and all of that sort of stuff? It just means that um, being um, in isolation is not quite so difficult. I think the thing that I'm finding the hardest, besides, of course, not riding my bike, is. Um, not being out and about and amongst people, because mm. you guys know that I'm a, a real fan of people. And I'm missing that, but other than that, um, everything's going really well. You know, what's interesting is I was just talking to somebody today doing an interview, and, and we were discussing this whole thing about the, the internet, etc. That topic sort of came up, and I was thinking, you know, it's interesting. We've talked on this show about how we're not real big fans about traveling with the, the internet and, and with social media and, and all that sort of stuff. If you didn't have social media right now, I mean, what what would the world look like for people? The same, exactly the same. No, I don't think yeah. it would. I think social media is giving them an escape. It's, it's letting them walk up to their computer and escape from their surroundings. You know, get out there and talk to other people, make virtual friends. Uh, and see or is things. it telling them everything that they're not witnessing outside their window, things to worry about that they're not actually concern to them. Well, at least it makes it exciting for them, though. <laughs> but, but before we get too far into this, I'm, I'm going to jump over to Australia and bring in Brian Ricks. Shirley Hardy Ricks, uh, it's, it's afternoon for you. It is. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. I'm pissed. I don't <laughs> like this lockdown at all. I can't get out and ride my bikes. Oh, weed, although, weed, but, but I've, I've got to say, and I, I had to uh, go and uh, deliver a um, emergency package to one of my friends, which was uh, garden seeds. seeds. Garden seeds. So I had to take a bike out for that, and you wouldn't believe it, I got lost. So I had to go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that must have been stressful. Uh, uh. Uh, I love your wording. Well, emergency seeds. <laughs> you know, you had to take the bike. I had to, I had to take the bike, so and then. Um, Sure, wanted some milk. So, you know, we're only two kilometres out of town, but I, I just had to go a different way. So 35 k's later, I brought Big Red back into the shed. And you sprung me the other day, didn't you, Sure? You were doing circuits at the driveway. It's <laughs> just such a sad, sad, sad situation. <laughs> well, why, why don't we start things off today um, by, by just Can telling just some stories? Tell Sorry? Oh, can I just tell a story about Facebook um, oh, social media that you, sure. you've been discussing in our absence while we've been sitting here waiting patiently? <laughs> there's, there's a group here in Australia called Bin Night. Oh, yes. So when you put your bin out, which for most people is the furthest they go from their house, uh, you can get dressed up. So uh, we've had, <laughs> had Spider-Man putting his bin out, um, a lady in a full ball gown with tiara and long gloves. So people have been very inventive to keep themselves occupied and amused. Oh, yeah, but, but we've had yeah, Frock Up Friday as well. Yes. Frock Up Fridays. Brian wore his dinner suit to um, – uh, 
drinks, frock up Friday drinks last Friday night. He wore his dinner suit. And you should have seen Shul. She was hot. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you can the brownie points there, Brian. I'm trying. I'm trying hard, sir. <laughs> Well, why don't we uh, why don't we kick things off with some with some nice stories um, that we all have of times when when we were riding when we had uh, the freedom that our motorcycles give us usually, and we were uh, you know you know those days where you, you you've got some uh, a stretch of road. I mean, it can be so many things. Can it? it could be an early morning, it could be an evening, it could be midday. Um, there's just something about it. One of those days where it clicks, everything feels right. The bike is running great. You feel good on the bike. You feel like you and the bike are one and and it just sort of um it's 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 like everything everything lines up for you and you know this is what you should be doing so graham why don't you take this away well i know i suggested this topic but i haven't got anything <laughs> no are you serious <laughs> i wanted to hear what other people's were to inspire me <laughs> no what i've got when i when i think of this I am not, uh, the image is not of loaded panniers and twisting canyons or endless desert or something like that. The two images that come back to me are not what you would consider to be dream rides. But nevertheless, I had that feeling, like you just described, where everything comes together as one and you just have this euphoric feeling of wholeness that you just want to do this for eternity. And one of the times it happened, I don't know what country I was in. We'd, uh, I was, I'd met up with a friend in Ukraine, and we decided to cross the border into Moldova. And we'd ridden through Moldova a bit, and then crossed another strange sort of checkpoint. It was getting late at night. There was nowhere, there was no guest houses, but equally, there was nothing. But equally, there was nowhere to camp. It was the strangest terrain. We couldn't find anywhere to put up a tent, yet there was nowhere to go. It was absolutely dark when we got to this little town. And there was this nasty Russian-looking dormitory. And we said, I'm not staying there. So he said, well, we'll, we must be able to find somewhere outside of this little town where we can camp. And in the lap between looking at this dormitory and going back, the only supermarket in town had closed. So now we didn't have any uh, options for food. Anyway, a friendly local insisted that we follow him to this uh, to this place he knew where we can stay, which was the same nasty dormitory, and it was horrid. So this Russian woman, or, or woman, whatever nationality she was, screaming at us in Russian, put us in this little room, and my friend went out, couldn't get any supplies, nothing to drink, nothing to eat. So miserable night in this squatty little hole. Now, our bikes were put in another part of this dormitory undercover amongst all this rotting and broken um, hotel furniture. And the next morning, we pushed them out into this gorgeous, gorgeous morning. Both us and our bikes just felt liberated to be out of this horrible, confined space. And now the supermarket was open. So my mate stayed with the bikes and I walked around the supermarket in bike boots and full gear um, and they were playing Queen's, um, oh, damn it, what was the song? They were playing Queen's um, Too Much Love Will Kill You. And I was singing out loud to it. Everybody's looking at me and I got a little basket and I'm buying yogurt and I'm buying bread and I'm buying bananas. And I just had this feel-good feeling. And we ate. And we got on our bikes and this was it. There was something about it. It felt fabulous. But the weird thing was we were heading, we knew, 
to Ukraine. We knew we weren't in Ukraine, and that's where we were heading, to Odessa. Yet every road to our right as we headed north had really heavy-duty police roadblocks. And it was very strange. I mean, we were pretty sure we were going in the right direction, but we couldn't alternate if we wanted to. But the sun was shining. It just felt fabulous. It was a wonderful ride. And then, <laughs> it didn't last very long, then we got to this other border. It turns out, well, what country are we in then? It turns out we were in this little country called Transnistria, which is an autumnal republic not recognized by any other countries in the world gets its supplies through Russia, only became a country in 1990, and which was followed by two years of civil war. So it's a really tiny place with its own currency. And um, so I was in this country, didn't even know I was in it, but it was just one of those spectacular, euphoric rides. And uh, that's that's one of my feel-good ride feelings. Mm. How about you, Brian? I've got a couple. Uh, I was thinking about this and I'm thinking, oh, you know, the top of the world road um, going um, from Alaska into Canada, um, cross Grockner. Cross Grockner is a great piece of road. When you're going along and you're just kissing the tarmac with your feet as you go around the corners and everything's in, in harmony as you go around. It's fantastic. But one of the best days I reckon we had was leaving Cusco in Peru and going uh, up towards uh, Machu Picchu and then heading down towards the Pacific Ocean. We rode it in one day right down to Nazca and you go through these wonderful, wonderful um, verdant fields um, with locals um, tilling the soil and then you go up into the mountains where it gets cold and colder and colder. I, was, I, can, I can still distinctly remember it. I was wearing my summer weight gloves and as we're riding along, it's getting colder and colder, so I put the heat of the hand grips on and put them up a bit higher, and it's still cold. And a dog walked along the road on the other side of the road, and it had snowflakes uh, on his black fur, and it just started to snow. And it was like that for maybe 20 minutes, and then you started snaking down the other side of the mountain pass, and it's just corner after corner after corner. And Cheryl and I were in perfect unison with the, the road and the bike. And it was an all-day ride, and we got down to the Pacific Ocean at Nazca. And it, and we didn't I didn't feel spent, but I felt very, very satisfied. What a great ride that was. What about you, Cheryl? Yeah, no, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> But the snow was coming down onto um, the dog uh, on his fur and the hands were that cold. They were white with uh, uh, snowflakes. And I actually would take my hand off, put the throttle lock on, take my hands off and put them on the pots of the, the, the beamer uh, to warm them up before I put them back on the handlebars. It was that cold. But that oh, wasn't... Uh, that's why they have those cylinders sticking out on the beamers. Is yeah, that what it's for? Very they, they're great. I've they're wondered great. When you get wet about. gloves and you you pull up and stop, you put your wet gloves on the cylinders and it dries them out. Perfect. <laughs> you can make tea on them. Hey. <laughs> you can. Yeah. Heated hand. Had a lovely setup there for that. Shirley, do you really not have one here? You do. Oh, no, I do. I was just reeling at the thought of him and his bloody heated hand grips. A number of arguments <laughs> we've had about, hey, my hands are so hot because of the heated hand grips. I might have turned them down. Yeah, but you should have heated gloves. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> I should wow. have. Tell what you do with your hands. I get Brian to stand up and I put them on the seat and he sits on them. 
<laughs> Interesting. I know. Just don't think about it. Just wash your hands. Is anyone run out of soap yet? Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Um, my favourite ride, well, there's been a few, but uh, mine don't relate to cold weather. I do not like that. But when we left um, – Chile the first time to head into Argentina and we'd been wait, waiting around Santiago for about three weeks for the bike to arrive and it was held up in all sorts of shipping problems around the world. Um, but we left and we were on our way to Mendoza and we went through the Cristo Redento Tunnel, which is that huge tunnel after going up all the switchbacks and then you get to the top to the, to the border um, at the top of the Andes and that was awesome. You came out of the tunnel and you're in Argentina. Yeah, it was really yeah. good. And then you went down the hill to Mendoza where they make extremely good red wine and you could get a fairly good feed of steak for quite a good price. So it was just a win-win, really. It's really interesting, the, the whole thing of these these times where everything feels so good. And, I'm, it's, and it's tough, I think, to nail it down to one thing. It's, it's not necessarily the weather. Brian talked about cold weather. You talked about warm weather. I know for me it can be either it's tough to nail it down to something, but there is something about it where everything just aligns and everything feels so good. Yeah, that, yeah that's that's right. I, I was thinking of another ride, just a local ride that we do here with some mates and going up through Grenier Pass and you're, you're not on the limit, but you're really pushing a little hard and the beam is uh, running beautifully and the mate had a, a um, blackbird and he and I were having a great time. Uh, riding the pass. And I tell you, the beamers handle pretty well in those situations, better than the blackbird. I probably don't need to say this, but I wasn't on the back. No, you weren't. During that ride. <laughs> no, good thing. <laughs> Sam, what have, what have you got? The first three that popped into my mind, because we've all got loads. Um, the first three that popped into my mind were all in hot countries, riding through the desert in Namibia, riding across the desert in Rajasthan in India, um, riding in the um, the mountains in um, Kenya. And, and I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, do you only have real joy when you're on your motorcycle and the, the sun shines out and it's warm? And that made me instantly think of Canada. So I thought, yeah, okay, so why did you like this trip in Canada so much? Well, Birgit and I were heading south from Watson Lake. Um, it was in October. Winter had come early. We were coming down the Alcan, and it was absolutely freezing. It was rain every day and virtually all day. And we were riding thinking, well, you know, thank goodness it's not snow because that this isn't funny, but that would not be good. Our boots were leaking and we had plastic bags inside the boots and plastic bags on the outside. And all of our gear was either really damp or completely sodden through. And our budget was so tight, we couldn't afford to pay for a motel room. I guess we were being a bit stubborn on that point anyway. But we, we rolled into Banff and the situation got even worse. We went into a gas station and we were filling up the bikes. Um, Birgit on one pump and me on the other. And um, Birgit pulled her pump out and she just yelled at me, it's not stopping. There's fuel gushing out all over her hot bike and all over the forecourt. And the guy inside the, the little cubicle where you went to pay, um, he was just sort of waving his hands at us. We later discovered there was a, a, a fault with this thing and you actually had to bang the pump on the ground to stop it from pumping. All the locals knew, but of course we didn't. So we were feeling oh. pretty miserable by the time we'd got into our um, wild camping spot that night. 
we went to sleep and we shivered and we made our hot our, our drinking water bottles into hot water bottles and yeah well we went to sleep and in the morning there was this, this strange silence when we unzipped the tent the world around us was covered in snow. It had stopped raining. All of the trees without their leaves on had got snow settling them on, on them. So it looked as if we were surrounded by giant feathers and could see the Rocky Mountains for the first time instead of just gray cloud. There they were, these fantastic mountains. And the ride that day, curling along in between the mountains, surrounded by these trees. And we saw um, deer with um, 14 points and moose and oh, all sorts of things. It was just stunning. And yeah, so not a desert story, but a cold story. What a fabulous day. Wow. Yeah, I know that that feeling of waking up to that snow. Um, that's incredible. How about you, Grant? Well, like Brian said, there's so many. <laughs> so it, true. It's just I, I read that and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Um, I've been writing as long as I have. And there are so many wonderful roads, wonderful days that I always feel blessed that I discovered motorcycles when I was 16 and started riding. Um, it's just a wonderful feeling. There's so often I go out for a ride just about anywhere and cruise along at a comfortable pace, not too fast, not too slow, and it just feels good. You know, there's, there's always great roads, great rides, and contrary to what somebody said, some of those great rides have been really, really fast, like stupid fast. But disregarding those, just some lovely cruising roads, too. Um, one that I always remember is through the Pyrenees, uh, the N260, Wonderful road, just go mile after mile after mile, and it's not really fast, and you don't want to go too silly fast on it because there is some traffic, but it's not heavy traffic. Cute little towns, picturesque villages, beautiful scenery. Um, I always remember Puigcerda was, was a great one. La Sud d'Urgel is another good one. Just lovely little places that you want to stop and just look at the scenery, see what's going on around you. Um, it's a relaxing kind of cruising along. You don't have to go fast to enjoy the day. And every time we've been there, of course, the weather has always been fantastic. I, how often do you go to Spain? And it isn't. You know, not very often. So that was one that always sticks out of my mind. Another one was in, um, in Africa, South Africa, going through Lesotho. Beautiful road, hardly any cars. Villages all over the place, people walking along the roads, women with baskets and buckets of water on their head and so forth. And it's just a relaxed feeling of, I'm out here, I'm part of the world, I'm, I'm in the world. And I'm really getting the feeling of the people around me. Uh, you wave and you nod at them and they give you a wave back. The kids jump out and wave. You know, they want to slap your hand as you go by. You know, you really feel part of the world and where you are, as opposed to you see the people in four-wheel drives and they're not. They're isolated. They're not. They're going from point A to point B in a cocoon and they don't feel the world. And that's something I always feel when I'm riding. I think, as certainly as a solo rider, a wave 
um, can change your entire mindset. If you can be a little bit, if you're a little bit lonely or you're feeling a little bit down, a spontaneous wave from a bystander passed by just absolutely increases the feel-good feeling tenfold. I think that's a wonderful connection. Yep, I agree. It makes a big difference. I mean, we usually are riding two up, um, so we don't have that alone feel, but we're our own little team, our own little pair um, in the world. So we can look at somebody, you know, something and say, oh, yeah, remember? And you almost have, don't have to say anything because you know what the other one's thinking. Yeah. So there's some real advantages in communication that you get from having traveled together for so long. Uh, over so many miles in so many countries, you know, it doesn't take much to bring up all kinds of memories of what it was like when you were somewhere. Graham, Namibia. Somebody mentioned yeah, Namibia. Wow. Some great roads in Namibia. You know, I loved in Namibia. And I would go back in a heartbeat. Oh, me too. Some of the most starkly, stunningly beautiful roads in the world there. Mm, yeah. And I love the sand dunes. Sausage is just absolutely mm-hmm. one of my favorite places in the world. Colors are gorgeous, aren't they? Just oh, the shapes and yeah. everything. Well, sit in one spot from sunrise to sunset and past, and it's just amazing. Yep. Wonderful place. Definitely recommended. Graham, I was going to ask there, when you're, when you're talking about when people wave at you and you get that feeling, is that because you think they know who you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop, stop, stop. Can you sign this book? Can you sign it, please? It's Graham Field. I got this book. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. I remember one particular time in Russia and had a, 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 a miserable night camping and uh, it was a, a dull morning. I was heading for Lake Bacal, stopped at this cafe and had a disastrous attempt at trying to order food and uh, just wasn't feeling good. A bit, and um, and I was heading for Lake Macau. I didn't really know what to expect. And uh, went around this corner, and there was just this old man sitting on a bench. And as I went around the corner, he just put up his hand and waved. And it just shone a light on me. It was just so good to to have that interaction, that recognition. And, and it, it really did. It just put a smile inside my helmet. And, and change my day. It's I think it's the one particularly in Russia where where ways might not be that forthcoming, and mm. uh, it, it was just a, a good good thing. So yeah, the, um, I love it when it happens. And actually, talking about where I was talking about my favourite ride in Moldova, I've never known such a popular country for waving. Every pedestrian, even truck drivers, coming the other way, everybody wave. I think they're probably saying, don't go any further. It's a corrupt border. <laughs> they're trying to flag you down. <laughs> you know, if a wave does that much for you, imagine then the power of a smile or, or anything we do in life, you know, on a day-to-day basis. You have no idea what everybody else is experiencing that day. And just the power, the good that you can do with something so simple as that. It's something to sort of consider, isn't it? It does get reflected back at you, I think, you know, the yeah. attitude in general. And, uh, you know, when, when did scowling at someone ever get a good reaction? <laughs> so I always think about smiles as being gifts. People yeah. gift you with a smile and you can gift somebody with a smile back and so on. And it's, yeah, just the, the glow factor, that little bit of connection. It doesn't need language. It's international language, the smile, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. 
And I always remind reminded of that when somebody. You guys have been like self isolating too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, can we put on video, please? <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe what we do. Let, let's. We, we've started off with a warm and fuzzy start here. Let's move into some listener yeah, questions. Come on. <laughs> what do you mean? Is there something? Did we leave something out? <laughs> I, I don't know. Look, I, I, just to finish off, on, I, I think the mood you have on a bike, it, it can be different day to day. Like I go, like going riding with a mate, but uh, I have some really good mates who are great riders and you get in sync with them and you have a fantastic ride. You don't, might be going too fast, but then there'll be days when you you like being by yourself. Um, when I went around Australia with a few mates, um, the last, was it only last year? Um Sometimes we travel together and sometimes we just make our space and say, see you at the other end, uh, wherever we're going to stop. It just depends on your mood and what you get out of the ride. I think that's all a big part of it. What you've been talking about is um, solo rides, um, picturesque rides, meeting people on the road. But let's face it, there's nothing better than riding a bike. Yep. Well said. You'll probably find, Brian, if you grow up, that um, you'll slow down. (laughs) With your riding a little bit. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Down. I don't know. <laughs> so, I'll go down when I'm old. Tim, Tim, Brian's a lost cause. Come on. <laughs> so let's let's move into a listener question because we have a few of them um, for this episode. This should be good. So James Gale, and I like the way James wrote this question here. This is his question. There must be a large number of travelers stuck in various places around the world due to the COVID-19 travel bans. So I'd like to ask your swashbuckling adventurers, where are some of the best and worst places that they have been stranded? And now he has another question in there, and I, I really like this part. And what did they learn from the experience? Grant, you want to start? Well, I can say the best place I've ever been stranded, as in sick as a dog, was the International Hotel in Nairobi. And we were, problem was, we were both super sick, and we were too sick to enjoy it. But it did teach us something, because we had, <clears throat> previously, I was sick in Jenduba, which is in Tunisia, and it's a little tiny town that has no tourist infrastructure. There are no tourists. We were it. They hadn't seen a tourist in months, I'm sure of it. And I was sick as a dog. I couldn't get out of bed. I was literally in this sort of local hotel, which is built out of concrete. And I was so cold. I had every blanket in the hotel on me. I am not, without a word of a lie, there were six inches of blankets on top of me. And I was still shivering. So I was pretty sick. And that was really bad. And that was, the lesson there was, don't get sick where there's no good hotels. Followed by getting really sick in the best hotel in Nairobi. That was much better. So makes sense. But Jenduba was was so bad that this is where uh, Susan had some really interesting experiences. She was okay, but the hotel had no restaurants, and this is very very Muslim. Um, women couldn't go into a restaurant. Period. Uh, the women went out in groups with a full shabar and you know the whole headdress and everything. Um, so here she is wearing pants and jeans, just walking around, walking in, just trying to find food. She finally found a place that had some, what looks like food. Oh, the bakery. Great. Goes in with no Arabic, says, my husband is sick, points at her uh, wedding ring and says, my husband is sick and I need some food. 
and went back and forth and back and forth. It took a while for him to figure out what is this person doing? Like, what, what is going on here? But after a little while, he kind of figured it out, got her some food, and then led her to the butcher shop. And then the butcher led her to the next store, who led her to the next store. And after five days of this, they all knew her, welcome, you know, hello, how are you doing? And she learned a few words of Arabic out of it. And the people were so friendly and so helpful. She just couldn't believe it from being this strange Western woman who's not dressed properly to a friend. Uh-huh. So that was a wonderful experience for her. I was so sick, I had no, <laughs> like, no, I just don't even want to know about this. Um, but that was, uh, it was a terrible place. But for her, it was great. For me, it was terrible. And then the International Hotel in Nairobi, of course. Um, and I'd been sick in Melchor de Mancos, which is a one-horse town. And I do mean one-horse town. And the horse died last year um, in Guatemala. So there are bad places. But always what we found was people were willing to help. They were always good to us. If you're sick, no problem. We understand. We'll help you. They got us food. They got us sorted out. It um, doesn't matter how bad it is. Somebody will help out. And that's, that's a really big thing that we learned from that is trust people. They're not out to, to be bad people. They're not going to rob you. They're going to help you. That was a wonderful experience. Graham, best, worst, and what'd you learn? Uh, well, when I started writing these down, I thought, probably got enough now. <laughs> There's quite a few places, but um, I'm going to give you two. Uh, one place I got stranded was a country called Bulgaria. Um, when I, was, I was doing a trip, <laughs> doing this trip to, um, which was supposed to be the stands, and got uh as they've been in Bulgaria, got to the Turkish border, or I write about this in, in Eureka book, and I'd left my vehicle ownership document in the UK. So I couldn't get across into Turkey. Um, I'd got out of Bulgaria, okay, crossed a bit of no man's land, then couldn't get into Turkey. So they did say there was a way I could get in, but I've got infinite borders to cross ahead of me. I'm going to need what we call a logbook, the vehicle owner ownership documents. So I had to turn around and wait a week for it to be DHL by my mother so I could get my logbook. Um, fast forward about six years, and I was coming from, I now live in Bulgaria, and I was coming from the UK bringing my, my new Triumph Thruxton back to Bulgaria. And uh, I, I bought it without seeing it, uh, and it had been delivered to my mum's house. And I even got her to forge my signature so that we could get the vehicle ownership document in my name and at her house. So when I was ready to ride it, it was there. And um, so I left and visited some friends on the way, had a fabulous ride through Central Europe. And I'm riding along the, uh, the Adriatic Highway in Croatia. And I'm thinking, you know, the Thruxton isn't big on capacity. There's only two tiny panniers and a little tank bag. And I'm thinking, where did I put, where did I put my logbook? I haven't even seen it the whole trip. And again, I'd left it at my mum's house. So what I've learned is nothing. <laughs> I think you say what you learned is always have your mum back you up. <laughs> but um, so I, I, I wanted to be back in Bulgaria. There was a, I think it was the beginning of October. There was a specific date I wanted to be back for. And again, had to wait for my mum 
to DHL, my logbook out, which took again about five days. And I was trapped on one of the best bits of road on the planet. The Croatian Adriatic Highway is hundreds of miles of coast-hugging, cliff-hugging bends. And um, so just day after day, I rode back and forth and back and forth, waiting for it to come. Nobody, nobody had any sympathy for me at all. I was I was stuck, stranded, waiting for paperwork. But there um, two. Uh, two two stranded places um, for the same bloody reason. Great, yeah. Yeah, mate. You you would be lost without your mum. Absolutely lost. That would be the end of my travelling days. <laughs> <laughs> mum, where am I? Mum, have you got any documents? <laughs> mum, can you send the book out? <laughs> yeah, this is something that I always see happens so often with Brits is they don't carry their logbook or their reg- registration document. Everybody else in the world is normally, you carry it on you all the time with your driver's license. You just never leave the house without it. And Brits have a bad habit of leaving them behind. Well, I've seen it it's so true. It's, not, it's, it's not compulsory in the UK to do it. Yeah. No, um, I know. It's compulsory it's here in Bulgaria. else but, it is. You know, it's on the checklist, Grant. It's quite near the top, up there with passport, money, credit card. But somehow, somehow, I've managed to overlook it. <laughs> uh, rem- remember the two boys that did Long Way Round? Remember the first uh-huh. border crossing uh-huh. they got to? They didn't have their registration papers with them. Oh, they can't. You know, a little tip for your checklist. Maybe this will work for you. Maybe it won't. We used to have checklists all the time for for doing trips. We had a checklist where you you have like more than one spot to check it off. So in this case, it was a box and then you put a line through it. And so when you're packing your stuff, when you're laying it all out, you do the check. And then when you've actually packed it, when you're putting it in your pack, then you put a line through it. You can still see what it is, but then you know it actually got packed. Maybe that was help you, Graham? I don't know what's going to help me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Jim. How about you, Sam? <laughs> Best, worst, and what did you learn? Um, I, I've not exactly been stranded, but been stuck in a few places. Um, the one that popped straight into my mind as being one of the worst was in a small town called San Julian, Julian in um, Argentina on the coast. Uh, Birgit and I were heading down towards uh, Tierra del Fuego and the Roaring Forties. Now, anybody who's had anything to do with sailing and geography and so on knows about the Roaring Forties. Monster winds around the the southern section of um, South America. Well, of course, these roar across the land first. We've all heard about the winds in Argentina. Well, those are what the winds are and they're horrible. They don't just blow nonstop. They gust horribly. And I'd got two slip discs and um, these sort of huge gusts of wind and then the drop and then the gust again and so on. And I I gave my back some real jip with this. We pulled into the camping site in San Julian and I could hardly get off the bike. Um, The only comfortable place that I could be was actually sitting on the saddle of the bike. Um, But I felt a right wimp as I, I managed to get my leg over the bike and we put the tent up and it was grey and it was cold and I was in pain and I, I lay in the tent listening to, to the tent flapping and this bloody awful wind and thinking, if this was it, you know, if was the trip really over because I knew that I wasn't going to get back on the bike again. Um, but I also knew that walking was the best thing and nobody was walking anywhere because it was so cold and it was so windy. And I'm not sure the locals all thought I was completely nuts, this strange man just out for a stroll. The owner of the camping site was called Senora Jacinta, 
um, and her brother was called Pinocchio. What a great name. Um, and she, um, she just treated us with tender, loving care as if we were her kids. And she arranged with her brother Pinocchio that he would put the bikes um, in storage in his garage out of the wind and so on. And after a while, you know, Birgit and I just thought, we can't stay here. My back's not getting any better. Um, we just need to do something. What can we do? And Senora Jacinta um, stuck her thumb out and mimicked hitchhiking. We thought, what a great idea. Why don't we try hitchhiking? And so she planted this idea and she got somebody to give us a lift out to the main roads and there Birgit and I stood. And within a few minutes, we had our first lift and it took us all the way down to Ushuaia um, with a young couple called Miguel and Tony. They were drama students and we learned so much about Argentina um, and we wouldn't have made it to Ushuaia without somebody or like them. And what I learned from that yet again was the kindness of strangers plus never giving up because there is always an alternative to whatever you find yourself stuck in. So that was the one of the worst um, best Sam, just hang on. Well, just before you go to best, mm. let me ask you. I, I've got, got mm. two things I want to ask you. One is, is the thumb out in your experience a universal uh, sign for hitchhiking in the world? No, no. In some countries, it's actually um, like giving the middle finger. Ah. So, so you know, we've talked in the past about learning about cultures and yeah. so on before you go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there are some countries, I can't remember offhand which ones, but um, there are some that if you give the thumb up to somebody, they are absolutely gobsmacked mm. um, because you have just been instantly incredibly rude to them. So best to check first. Now, now, the other question I had was, do you find that you were treated better by strangers when you're riding with Birgit as opposed to riding by yourself? No, it doesn't make any difference, um, except that there's a bit of a jet lag. If, you're, if, if I'm riding on my own, then um, I'm very approachable. So people just, you know, they just come and chat. You start off with that smile that we were talking about earlier on or a handshake or whatever. Um, when there are two of us, then there's, uh, there's it, it's less of an immediate approach because you're seen to be a self-contained unit. When Grant said that just now, I thought, yeah, that's, that's how it works. Um, but again, the power of the smile. Um, if you show that, you know, you're open to an approach or to a conversation, then people do. Um, people are great. Hmm. Okay, your, your next story. Okay, um, so this was the best, or one of the best. Um, I'd had this 17-bone uh, fracture accident crossing the desert in Namibia and ended up with a bunch of bust teeth and um, spent um, quite a few weeks in hospital being um, put right. And I'd arranged my, my bike once it had been put back together again by the man who lived in the mud hut on the edge of the desert and his welding mate, I'd arranged for it to be put on a, a truck to go to BMW in Johannesburg to be checked over because I knew by that time that I had a lot of miles that I still wanted to do, um, all being that I had the courage to get back on it. So it needed to be checked out and it, from Johannesburg. It was then going to go down to um, Cape Town. And I, um, I hitchhiked down to Cape Town, um, unable to ride. And I booked myself into a backpacker's hostel, literally called The Backpack. Um, and I was instantly treated as if I was, um, a, I'd been a personal friend for years and I was one of the most important people in their lives. Absolutely fantastic. They even chose a, a dentist for me to go to who was a motorcyclist because they thought that I, didn't, I wouldn't know who was a good dentist and who wasn't. So if we could talk motorcycles, I might have confidence. And they introduced me to motorcycle mechanics and 
all sorts of things. And while I was there, I met my cousins for the first time. I didn't even know these cousins existed down there. And I was doing things like painting T-shirts and selling them. And um, as physiotherapy, I was taught how to, to weave cotton braids into hair. And as the weeks were going by, Lee, who was one of the owners of the backpack, realized that my budget was actually really hurting by this holdup. And um, she invited me to go and stay in her house. Nice. How cool was that? Uh, but it just, what had been a really nasty, uncomfortable situation turned into something very special because of the people at the backpack in Cape Town. Um, they were fantastic. What I learned from that was the importance of um, treating people as individuals, whoever they are, um, whoever you meet, whether you're, you're in a position to, to look after somebody else or they're looking after you, treat them as individuals. And, you know, Grant's story about um, Susan being out and um, dealing with the baker and the butcher and everything else, as soon as she was started to be treated as an individual, that was it. People, people just blossomed, didn't they? Fantastic. It's one of the best things about travel, isn't it? What do you mean individual? Well, treating a person um, as not just a another person, but as a person who's standing in front of you, who's um, got something to share or something that they're in difficulties with or whatever else it may be. Mm -hmm. um, you can't look at people as being people. They are individuals. Right. You don't right. sound convinced, Jim. No, no. I just want to make it clear before I, I know it's the type of thing that'll pop into somebody's <laughs> head as they'll ask, well, what does he mean by individual? Well, so I just wanted the, your definition. That's all. Gotcha. Brian, best, worst, and, and what did you learn? Yeah, I, yeah we've got two. I'll, I'll hand over to Shirley first. She can talk about one first, then I'll do another. We spent what seemed like six to eight months it was probably about 12 days, in Smithers, British Columbia. Okay. There must be more <laughs> to the story, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the Canadians to come out in strong defence of Smithers. Look, Smithers was okay. We um, had a breakdown on the bike. The um, shock absorber snapped in half, so it was a fairly catastrophic problem that was going to strand us for some time and um, I know we've talked in the past about the wonderful woman from the transport uh, ministry who loaded the bike onto the back of her ute um, and took us into Smithers and and we were there stranded until we could get a replacement uh, shock absorber. Um, what did we learn from that? Well, I learned where all the shops were. I reckon I knew Smithers better than people who'd been born in the town. People would arrive at the motel we were staying in and I was able to give them local advice on which bank had the best exchange rate if you wanted to change cash and uh, where the cheapest um, bottle shop was and where the good restaurants were. Uh, the one thing we learnt from that is um, probably don't spend 10 days in Smithers, British Columbia. Uh, the other thing we learnt was how helpful people could be the lady who looked after us on the side of the road then took us sightseeing, made sure that we weren't sitting around the motel room completely bored out of our minds, and we became very friendly with the man at the post office who thought we were posting our bike home to Australia in bits and pieces because we posted <laughs> the shock absorber had to go to Sweden and then we decided to um, get rid of the top box and buy a big gear sack. See, no nothing to do so we went shopping so we posted the top box home mm. so it was it was just one of those places that it was though everyone was very friendly and we didn't have a horrendous time 
but it was 10 days of my life. I will never get back. Oh, we, didn't, we, we were friendly with everyone, even the prostitute who worked out of the rooms downstairs, oh, but yeah. not that friendly, but friendly enough. <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, on the third time we saw her pull up in her car, I said to Brian, what do you think this girl's doing? And Brian yeah. said, oh, for goodness sake, what do you think she's doing? <laughs> Don't be so naive. It <laughs> <laughs> never occurred to me that a nice hotel run by a very nice family would have a prostitute working out, don't they? <laughs> no, you can't post her home. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose she, she probably just rounded off your local knowledge completely then, Shirley, for, for visitors, yeah, I mean. Pretty much. I, I worked out that Smithers had something for everyone. <laughs> Can we avoid this track? <laughs> Once again, mine is about when you have a breakdown and you meet great people. We were travelling, just cruising along on those beautiful days when we were just cruising along coming out of Bangkok, heading down towards Malaysia, uh, around a, a bay, and all of a sudden the alternator light comes on the bike. Ah, uh, damn. Um, the belt, the alternator belt had broken. So we had to ride, we rode about 60 kilometres just on the battery and pulled into this little town and there was a little bike shop and um, – uh, just on the edge of town. So I pulled in there and I wanted to see if I could leave the bike there. I knew there was a, a dealer in in um, Bangkok where I could get a part and if we could get the part sent down. Well, these guys at this bike shop could not be more helpful. Uh, they'd never seen such a big bike as a, as a BMW. So um, they let me park the bike there I said, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll take it out and have a look. Oh, no, 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 we want to do it. We want to do it. So I sat there and watched me do it and worked out um, the, the part I needed and let me use their phone to ring up and order the part. Then they loaded all our luggage into a ute and gave us a little step-through um, motorcycle yeah. and had us follow them down to the one and only hotel in the town uh, which was actually quite a nice hotel. Can I just add that the um, there was a paragliding yes, contest right. on in the town and so the only room at this very nice hotel was in the basement. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> we didn't actually have windows or – It was like a prison cell, but – But it was a bed <laughs> and – it was okay. And we had had this little motor, motorcycle that they'd lent us to go and tour around the local area and go up to temples and have a look at monkeys playing in the jungle and all that sort of stuff. And we were there for three or four days waiting for the part to be delivered down on the train. So it arrives in the town and the train got in at about 8.30 at night. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go up and um, pick up the part off the train. So I get up there and the mechanics are already at the train at 8.30 at night picking up the part, they'd already got it and they were driving to the uh, my, uh, the shop to fit it to my bike. Oh, so wow. they actually fit, they fitted it because <laughs> they wanted to work on the bike. So um, by the time I got there, it was fitted, put in, back together, and uh, the next day I took their little motorcycle back and I said, well, how much do we owe you? Oh, no, 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 nothing, you nothing. Thank you. Uh, thank you for staying with us. Yeah, and welcome, welcome to Thailand. Welcome to Thailand. Yeah, and yet, fantastic. You know, they were just 
beautiful people and I had to go and buy them a present. I just couldn't walk away from that. And they were just big smiles and that's what you get when you have a breakdown. And when you've got to have a breakdown, let's see, Smithers, British Columbia or Thailand at a beach resort. Mm. The Thailand beach <laughs> resort kind of won, really. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say Sorry. Smithers. No, oh, no, no, no. no. Oh, I love that's it. odd. I have a very soft spot for Smithers, <laughs> British Columbia. We met actually we met some really fabulous travellers there, who we still uh, we still keep in touch with. And um, one of them we've travelled uh, up to the Arctic Circle in Alaska with him, and up to the Arctic Circle in Norway with him. So it was it wasn't all bad. Mm. Yeah, I, I was there not long ago, and I saw they still have your picture up in the restaurant there. <laughs> then again, Jim, you know, when we bought the bike back and we could le- we left it at the local Harley Davidson dealer there, and um, we just par- I just parked in the shed where he had the um, snowmobiles for winter time, and um, he saw us wandering around town one Saturday morning. He said, "Oh, come up to the shop, Brian. Come up to the shop," and he he threw me the keys to one of his Harley Davidsons, and he said. You can't hang around town for 10 days. You go for a ride, bring it back on Monday. So we, we went for a 400k ride on his one of his Harleys and brought it back. Wow. So just great. Yeah, and he didn't yeah. charge us for that. And we put a lot of money into the community. They should be very grateful we were there. Oh, I'm sure if you went shopping. Probably <laughs> anybody has in 20 years. <laughs> exactly. You know, we just keep coming back, don't we, to how brilliant people are and – I'm just blown away by it. It's just one of the best things, isn't it? The riding and the people and the landscape. It's just this wonderful big jigsaw puzzle of a mix, isn't it? But people just keep out coming out smiling, don't they? Amen. Yeah, that's right. Even just in our local area, one of my mates went for a ride on his old ancient round case Ducati, which is a beautiful bike, but it's a Ducati, and um, they break down. And... Um, I got a phone call and he'd been out for a ride on his new caddy and it had broken down on the side of the road with, guess what, an electrical problem. Um, so I hooked up the trailer to get out to see him. And when I get there, a lady had seen him on the side of the road and it was a, it was a reasonably warm day. She bought out jugs of water for him and things like that. You know, pe- wow. people are very friendly. People have, uh, have a smile on their face more than a frown, I'm sure. Yeah, that is nice. Well, um, and, and James, James Gale, thank you very much for the question. That, that was great. Let's take a, uh, a quick break here and um, thank our sponsor, Fresh Tracks. Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s. What they do is inspire, motivate, and challenge, build communication skills through team building exercises. Now, I talked to Dan Collins is the owner of this company, and um, but it's really interesting his story. He, he actually started out doing four by four tours. He, he was teaching people how to not tours, but teaching people how to drive four wheel drives off road. Um, that sort of came from a, an adventure he did. But from there, they got they went into team building, and now it's it's completely different. It's kind of interesting to look at some of these companies sometimes the way they 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 start up. They start up at such sort of humble beginnings. You can imagine with a four by four in some farmer's field showing people how to, to get over hills and go through ditches, et cetera, with a four-wheel drive. And now he works with companies like uh, Mars, Pfizer, Yahoo, Comic Relief, and, and et cetera, and sort of um, a bunch of big companies helping them build their team and, uh, and keep the company operating because, um, as we know, communications is huge for everything. 
Now, for motorcyclists, Fresh Tracks has a, an area, and he's put this together just for motorcyclists because he is a huge fan of the show and of, of riding. Uh, he's got back into riding in, in recent years. So he's put this together just for this. This is not really a, a, a main business for him by any stretch of the imagination. This is an extra thing that he's put together for listeners to raw. So um, Fresh Tracks, if you, if you go to freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space, that's the uh, the page that you need to go to, and they have a spot there that it's he's out an hour outside of London, I think is what what it is, not very far outside of London, and there's a spot there where you can camp, you can you can ride off road. There's green lanes close by, and you can try out gear if you want. You can stay inside because there's, there's also um, there's a cabin uh, that you can stay in, or you can stay in their main facility. There's a bunch of stuff you can do there. It's sort of like a, a little base, you know, to go out and have adventures from. So freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. And of course, that link is in our show notes, as is all the other links that we, that we put there that we talk about, the things that we talk about. Okay, so that's Fresh Tracks. Now we're going to go into a this next question. I'm, I'm kind of thinking Sam and, and probably Grant are, are going to have the most input for for this question. Um, the person that sent it in is Per Arndahl. I hope I have that name right. They wrote, I, I want to take my bike, F800GS, down to Africa, and I wonder if there are any places that I absolutely shouldn't go because of crimes and such. And is it okay to wild camp most places? Any tips would be appreciated. Now, I know, Sam, you have a, I mean, you have a, a deep love for Africa, and I know you always follow what's going on. You're sort of current on this. I try to keep up with it because um, the thing about Africa is that it's just constantly changing. Um, some countries traditionally have more trouble than others. And don't let the, these things put you off at all because Africa is just like a big pressure cooker. But instead of having one um, release valve, there are at least half a dozen. So there's always something popping off somewhere or another. But you can go round the problems most of the time. So it's just keeping your finger on the pulse. And there are some countries where... Um, there are just continual problems. The Democratic Republic of Congo is a classic example. And at the moment, Central African Republic um, is difficult. Mali's difficult. Somalia, of course. And um, Southern Sudan's quite difficult too. But these things change all the time. And one of the things to pay more attention to is that every city has its dodgy areas. So um, be very cautious about those. But one way to keep up to date with what's going on in Africa, um, just as at a glance, um, is um, a State Department uh, map. And it's updated um, daily. I'll, I'll give um, Jim and Elizabeth the, the link for this, so that'll be in the show notes. But it's travel maps, and it's updated daily. And it just shows you which countries around the world are um, having strife at the moment. And various degrees of, um, well, we don't think it's a good idea that you go here to, yeah, just under no circumstances go here. So it's um, it's worth paying attention to that. Grant, do you have anything to add to that? Well, after what Sam just said, he's done a great job on it. Um, <laughs> uh, let me think. I'm thinking quickly here. I, I think the basic that Sam mentioned is that it's constantly changing is probably the biggest thing. I know when we went through Africa, Angola was a no-go, and yet Today, Angola's okay. Uh, the DR is always bad, of course. Um, Mozambique was bad when we went through. It changes. You, know, you have to really pay attention, see what the latest news is, check out the various bulletin boards. The hub, of course, is always a great place to check out on these things. 
and be prepared for change. You Today it's wonderful, and tomorrow they have an election, and it all goes to hell in a handbasket. So you just don't know, and you have to pay attention. Pay attention to what the locals are doing. Watch the body language of people. Um, when you stop, talk to people and find out about the road ahead. Ask what's going on, and if people tell you that there's a problem ahead, pay attention. Listen to them. Don't think, well, I'm a big guy on a modern bike and I can deal with anything. Well, uh, no, you can't deal with guns. So pay attention. Listen to people. Be friendly with people. Start conversations. Be prepared to change your plans. Okay. Well, I hope that answers that question. Um, Brian... Can Sorry? we just talk about um, um, Peir's question about wild camping and so on as well? Yes, he did talk about that. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I missed that. No, that's right. Um, my attitude with that is that it depends on the country. But the thing that you need to be aware of is that everywhere is somebody's backyard. And I've woken up in really deserted areas and I haven't seen anybody for a couple of days. And when I've woken up in the morning, there's been somebody standing outside of my tent. And there's been no, no malice or anything. It's just been curiosity. Who is this person? What is this thing? Um, but uh, with wild camping, a lot depends on how remote and how off the beaten track you can get. And um, sometimes wild camping actually works better when you're camping next door to villages, because if you go and ask for permission, um, once you do that, then everybody knows who you are. You're not a person of suspicion. You'll be a person of curiosity, that's for sure. You'll get watched for everything that you do, but that's actually part of the fun. Um, camping next door to mission stations or businesses, again, with permission, um, that can quite work quite well. And I think the top tip with wild camping anywhere in the world is either hide yourself extremely well or be blatant and preferably blatant with permission. Yeah, I'd go along with that completely. Although in Africa, I found that it was impossible to completely wild camp. I mean, I remember we'd stop at three o'clock or something and say, OK, we'll just sit here for a couple of hours and see if there's anybody around. Well, we haven't seen anybody in an hour on the road. There's nobody in sight. There's nothing here. But you sit for an hour, and you'd be amazed how many people wander through. There, there just isn't anywhere where there's nobody. Like mm. Sam said, it's somebody's backyard. It's their hunting grounds. It's their grazing grounds. They're out there looking for fruit or something to eat. There's people everywhere. It's just amazing. I think, you know, there was also asking about some tips for um, traveling down through Africa. And I think one of the keys for, for me while we're on the subject of accommodation is stop your day, your riding day early. So in other words, get up with the dawn. What a fantastic time of day um, it is to be out and about in Africa. The light's low and uh, the scenery and the buildings and everything. It just looks absolutely fantastic in that low light. And you've got that much more chance of seeing wildlife in the early hours of the morning um, than you have you know, past 10 o'clock. In, in most countries, you're stuffed, even if there is any wildlife around. You're greatly diminishing the chances. So start really early. Um, and then finish early because at that time of day, then you've got a, ch um, a chance of getting the cheap accommodation. So, and it can be really cheap. So why wild camp when you can be staying somewhere um, close to a baker and a butcher and, you know, whatever else and have somewhere safe to park your bike and go to sleep at night with a locked door? 
Um, another tip is don't get drunk away from your hotel or your camping site. Most, um, or I, can't, I have no idea what the statistic is, but I can imagine that a lot of tourists that get in trouble um, get in trouble because they get drunk when they're not somewhere safe. Um, don't look wealthy as you're traveling around. And I know that's difficult when you've got this big expensive motorcycle and your motorcycle gear and everything. But when you're off your bike and you're going wandering, then get rid of your expensive watch if you've got something and wear clothes that you know aren't looking as if you've just stepped off a, um, a fashioned walk in Paris or something like that. Hmm. And, you know, we've talked about the, the common sense things like throwaway wallets and those sorts of things. In Africa, I think... Um, don't go out after dark unless you're with a local that you trust, um, be they a local local or an expat who's there. Um, but just, you know, you, there are things that get hidden in dark corners um, and you are making yourself more vulnerable by that. Um, yeah, I, I could talk on. <laughs> well, there was, there was a lot in just, there. Just, but... just what... Just... Just one thing, Jim, um, you talked about um, uh, the, the immediacy of, of knowledge. The, the best knowledge you can get is you know, uh, the latest. Um, Ken and Carol Duval are, are, are really um, have just come back from Africa trying to get through south. And I know Carol keeps uh, meticulous notes about travel. And I'm sure um, if Peter and Dahl wanted to get in touch with them, um, they wouldn't mind at all passing on advice about um, their experiences in Africa. Okay. Two of the most calm and in tune um, overlanders I've come across ever, uh, Ken and Carol, um, super people. Yep. They've certainly done a lot of traveling. Well, we had them on the show a long time ago, actually. Now I think it's been a, been a fair, fair while now, maybe, maybe in a couple of years. Yeah, they've got plenty of time on their hands if uh, you wanted to get in touch, Jim. <laughs> well, good question, Pear, and I, I hope that helps you out with that. Um, and thank you for the question. So I, I'm going to move on to the this next question here. This this might take us down a road, <laughs> really. Brian Grows, uh, <laughs> he writes, what are some of the slang words you have experienced in your travels? Better yet, what are some of the slang words from your countries? So who wants to start with this? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give some Canadian ones then. But well, I, we, I can certainly kick things off. We could kick things off with with Canadian ones. I mean, we have some. Yeah. And actually, as you start to look at this, because you know, when you're when you're talking about your own slang words, it's sort of difficult to step out and and hear your own slang words because you'll spill these things out and think nothing of it. And we have common ones like um, we have a, a dollar coin and a, and a two dollar coin, and we call them loonies and toonies because the loony has a loon on it and the, why do we call the toonie just i guess because it's because the first it was, one was it named came the after the loony yeah that's right it so, came after the loony so it became the it toon. became toonie so the toonie is your your two dollar coin and and yeah. and everybody says this every day you think nothing of it throw it you have a loony this one will take a toonie another one is is dinged that seems to be, I don't know if that's just Canadian, but that's definitely a Canadian thing where you're forced to pay some pay for something you'd rather not. So, you know, that you get pulled over by, by a, a policeman and, and they ding you for, you know, no taillights. Um, well, that's interesting. I mean, it, it, my slang, that's when you put a dent in something. Yeah, I know. That's yes. <laughs> that's yeah. what you think it would be. Yeah, you call yeah, it being in nicked. Australia also. Yeah, nicked. Yeah, well, nicked, isn't that, that's more of a UK thing, isn't it? Yeah. When you, yeah, when you get caught by the cops. Yeah, Nick. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. You, you get a ticket here and you, you get dinged. Two, four. There's another one. <laughs> Two, four is a 24 beers. It's just a case of beer. 
And I think um, a slab in some countries. Mm. What do you yeah, call it? Slab here. You call yeah, a slab? Slab in Aussie. UK? Yeah. Two dozen slab. Yeah. In the UK, Sam? Oh, we don't drink beer, so um, I, right. I wouldn't have a clue. Right. <laughs> right. Sam's never been able to afford to Sam, buy I've never heard you lie so blatantly. No, as I was going to say, Sam just doesn't buy a 2-4. He comes back with a six-pack and another six-pack. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> I need the exercise. How about in Bulgaria? What's a 2-4? They sell beer in, in two-and-a-half-litre plastic bottles. You wouldn't want 24 of them. <laughs> they don't mess around. <laughs> Enough of these small cans. Take the barrel out. <laughs> No, I'm just no, going to have one bottle of beer tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with the keg? <laughs> Joe, I've got a friend who's made his top box, and um, his top box is actually made out of um, a keg. And it looks absolutely fantastic as he sets off on his travels with his beer barrel on the back of his bike. <laughs> That's an interesting way to go. Our first top box fitted a slab and a, and a um, bag of ice. Yep. Perfectly. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. I'll continue on with a few Canadian ones that come to mind for me. Mickey is another one getting on the on the drinking thing. That's like a, a flask-sized uh, bottle of liquor. Does anybody else use a Mickey in Australia or the UK or Bulgaria? No. no. no I don't use Mickey. What do you call that? I don't know. Um, what, uh, a little bottle. Yeah, it's like a pint yeah. in the U.S. or a 375 <laughs> a milliliter sort of thing in, in uh, Canada. Okay, so obviously <laughs> nobody buys such small well, bottles of alcohol. No, not in our world. <laughs> this is a Canadian thing. Hard liquor. Here, here's what if I run a couple of Australian ones past you and see how you go? Uh, okay, go ahead. Have a Captain Cook. A Captain Cook? Mm, no idea. What is that? Have a Captain Cook. A look. A Captain Cook is a look. Oh, right. Wait, and what's the John Dory? No idea. What's the story? What's John Dory? What's the story? And is that that's really common? You to bring your cozy along. Yes, yeah, that's very common. No, that's really common. So stop it, sure it is. John Dory is a fish man in Sydney Harbour. It's uh, it's chilled with lemon and pepper and dried fried, uh, dry, deep fried. Um, so it's, it just rhymes with what's the story? What's it's, a couple of others, sure? Um, a lot of ours is rhyming slang, like rhyming in, slang really. in England. Um, Buckley's Chance is a good one. Buckley's Chance, yeah. Buckley's, Buckley's Chance. Chance doing that. Yeah, he was, the, uh, he was a, an Australian convict who managed to survive three 30 years or 40 years living with the Aborigines. So if you think you haven't got much of a show, they'd say you've got Buckley's Chance. Ah. And, um, Pull the wool over your eyes. Mm, we this, have that this, as well. This, That's an old one. This has got a couple of meanings. You, you know, my previous occupation, we used to lock up uh, armed robbers, bank robbers, and things like that. And if we had someone going to the bank, they would, and crooks would say this too, they'd pull the wool, which means they would pull the balaclava over their head and uh, they're running to the bank with a gun. Mm. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's where it came from. Oh, interesting. So, what about if you were going to have some dead horse with a dog's eye? <laughs> what? We've got, a, we've, got a, we've, got a saying, we've got a couple of sayings here. Read that, sure. Oh, I can't read that writing. Um, do you want a, a rat's coffin with dead horse while watching the pies pumping, pumping the pig skin through big sticks on the idiot box? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have no Come idea. On. It's Martian, isn't it? Not Australian. <laughs> rat's coffin is a pie. Is a pie. Dead horse is tomato sauce. The pies are actually a football team. Um, Pumping the pigskin is kicking the football. 
through the big sticks as Aussie rules as a goal, yeah. and the idiot box is the telly. But see, that's the thing Australians do is we cut every word in half and put E on the end of it, like telly, brekkie, footy. Yeah. It becomes very confusing for people. Right. Think, yeah. This is one for you, Graham. You'll get this one. What about if I said to you, I've pointed Percy at the porcelain and I've gone, gone and I've either got a depth charge or a king brown and I'm going to uh, go and grab a, a stubby holder. What does that mean? I don't know what you're talking about. Why am I always yeah, going to explain it? <laughs> I have trouble even hearing the words you're saying. Yeah, um, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. <laughs> well, you might have gone to have a wee and uh, you're getting a depth charge. A depth charge is a can of beer or a King Brown is a big bottle of beer. So there you go. So I, I still don't know what you said. It's <laughs> <laughs> that accent. <laughs> I don't understand half of what Brian says anyway. I just sort of laugh and go along with it. <laughs> We've thought that actually. <laughs> okay. When we first went to Australia, I stayed in an apartment and we had to have somebody come around to fix the, the plumbing. And I swear, the guy stalked for five minutes, and I didn't understand a single word he said. <laughs> like, huh? What? <laughs> no idea. You know, he had a really strong accent, and I hadn't developed an ear for the strong Australian accents yet. And it was just like, huh? <laughs> what? We met a young German couple who, who had been um, learning English for a couple of years, really concentrating on the language to come and live in Australia for 12 months. And they, they arrived in Perth yes. and they thought they needed to find out how to register their bikes. So they went into the police station and asked the policeman what they needed to do. And he spoke to them for some minutes and they nodded and walked out and yes. looked at each yes. other and said, did you understand anything he said? <laughs> Not a word. And Yen said, how are we going to go for 12 months if we can't even get the bikes registered? You can tell it's English. They just don't understand what it means. Yeah. I don't even know that they were sure it was English, actually. <laughs> what, about, what about when we were travelling through Turkey, Shirley, and we walked into that hotel oh, and we yes. had our Australian passports over the counter and the little Turkish man, he's a lovely fellow, he said, ah, Australian, Australian, no working furries. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's one of our favourites, actually, Australian phrases. <laughs> how about, uh, Graham, how about some Bulgarian? I misunderstood this question a bit. <laughs> so on my list, I've just got things I heard around the world, which, uh, so I suppose it's kind of slang. Um, like in um, in Brazil, uh, if you were hot and sweaty, humid day, they'd say pegahosel, which was kind of cool. Um, one of my favourites in Russia was what blink, which sort of meant, oh, bollocks, bugger, sod it. And that was quite good. That was a good thing. It's like, what blink? Uh, now in, um, I was going to say, what's bollocks and soda? You're going to have to explain that to some people. I mean, I know what it is. But <laughs> I There's some people listening to this and they're just, just thinking, what does that mean? <laughs> Google it. <laughs> um, now, in, uh, in uh, Bulgaria, one of the cute words for the name bottom for your bum is dupe, 
And so that's what you say to a kid, you know, it's like, um, you know, put your pay there or something. It's like, got dupe is a, a cute word for bottom. But the word for hull is dupka. So I always get them confused. So if I need a hole to, to, to plant a, a tree or something, and I keep saying, I want a dupe there, which is bottom instead of hole. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky one. <laughs> But a couple of others I've got are more um, more philosophies, I suppose, than, than slangs. There was there's a thing they have in the Czech Republic, and uh, they say, "I was okay, but now I'm better." So if you've had a little a nice meeting with someone, a little pleasurable interaction, I say, "I was okay, but now I'm better." I, I like that. I thought That's I thought nice. that was good. That's yeah. Very nice. Very nice. positive. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my final one, and you've probably come across this, is in Thailand, where they say same, same, but different, which works for a plethora of subjects. I, I was out there, I bought a T-shirt, had a picture of an opium pot poppy and a marijuana leaf, and it said same, same, but different. <laughs> uh-huh. How about you, Sam? I tell you what, I was gobsmacked when this subject came up because I, I was full of collywobbles that I'd speak a load of codswallop and then I'd be a complete wazzock. Right. Yes, you would. <laughs> so what does all that mean? <laughs> right, well, gobsmacked. I actually use this word quite a lot. Um, completely and utterly awestruck in amazement. Mm. Yeah, I think gobsmacked is, is one you'll hear here as well. Yeah, you do. Nice yeah. one. Collywobbles. Um, that's when you've got sort of butterflies in your stomach. You're, you're really pretty nervous that something um, is about to happen or you've got to deal with something. Um, Codswallop was In Victoria, that. there's a football team called Collingwood and they get the collie wobbles when they um, get to the finals. Everyone talks about the collie wobbles and that's nice. what it means in Australia. It's the football team. Gotcha. Nice. My football um, team, sure. Yeah. Codswallop, um, that's just a complete load of rubbish. Um, so I have no idea where that comes from. I really need to look that up. Wazuk, well, that's an idiot. Um, there are all sorts of things like that in, um, in English slang. Legless, extremely drunk. Do you, do you use that in Australia as well? Legless? Yeah, yeah. legless, yeah. yeah. Balls up, pear-shaped. Um, Kiwi slang, shibby, right? Well, that's Australia that's as well. Australian isn't it? Too. Everything's going to be Australia, fine. Yeah. Um, I, I quickly discovered in both Australia and New Zealand um, that um, the word mate is an excellent word, but it all depends on the speaker's tone. Explain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, mate can be mate or it can be mate. Exactly it's, right. It's like referring to someone as a bastard here is actually a term of endearment. Uh, or old, old, an old, ba- old bastard is, uh, uh, here you go and you're old bastard, is a term of endearment, but you bastard... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, that's with most words, though. I mean, most words, your tone is is everything. Yeah. The intonation yeah. is everything. I mean, you can one say of the things hello that, and, and, and do the same thing. One of the things from New Zealand that I liked um, was what wops. And when the first person said that to me, I thought, I've never heard that. I've never heard it. What wop? Um, it's the middle of nowhere. Out in the what wops. Mm. Oh, oh, my God. That's back of her. Yeah, well, all right. So I have got a Kiwi accent. South Africa. <laughs> South Africa. No, you didn't have enough O's. Oh, right, okay. Um, yeah, actually, that's something else about Australia, um, isn't it? You, you've got to, um, like you said, add a, an IE on the end. Or, but also, O 
gets added on the end of a lot of things too, doesn't it? Righto. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't Sam in Australia, I was Sambo. In the UK, do you have homo milk? No. No. Homogenized. That's right, no. homogenized milk. No, no, I mean, I was I, I was just thinking, can I make a really bad joke? No, no I can't. No, I um, think it's I think it's just a Canadian thing, but like in Canada, you know, you look in the fridge and there's all kinds of jugs there, just say homo on them. And it's homo milk, it's homogenized milk. Nobody thinks no, anything no, of it. No, yeah. No, no, no. Have you, have you heard the saying? Have you heard the saying, "Bushman's handkerchief"? No, no. no. Sleeve. Correct. Well, you just sort of blow it out. Oh, that's a farmer's in the bush. Hit. Yeah. I didn't bet these ones either. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of positive ones. Oh, do you, you say you have a couple of positive ones? Yeah, let's hear. It. South Africa, one that's used all the time is that's lecker, mate. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I like one. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, where does it come from? Do you know? Good. Do you know where that comes I from? Have, um, well, it's somewhere from um, Boer. I don't know what it is exactly. Mm. Afrikaans, but they use but, it all the time, even in English. Everything's South, lecker. South Africa's got some great slang, hasn't it? One of my favourites oh, yeah. was just now. Um, <laughs> When, yeah. when you get when you when you ask somebody if they'll do something or they say they're going to do something for you, if you get a just now, then you know that actually it's not exactly going to be done now. Um, it will be done in due course. So just yeah. now, it's a polite way of saying yeah, we'll get to it. Um, yeah. It's also the same as ahora in Spanish. Yeah, uh-huh. right away, right away. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> is it kind of curt? No, it's just yeah, just now. Um, but the one that you really want to hear is, yeah, now, now, I'll do that now, now, and that means, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well, well, it's it's pretty imminent that when something's going to happen. But one of the going back to Grant and his uh, comments about positive um, slang, one of the other favourites from South Africa is, um, let's make a plan, mm-hmm. let's make let's make a plan, and it just comes up so often um, that yeah. when the, a solution is needed to be found, the attitude is, well, we'll find one. Um, and that fits in, of course, with, yeah, it should be right. We'll make a plan, make a plan. And if you say it to them, how's it going? They'll always say, going like a Boeing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in South that's Africa. Whether that's, that's politically correct at the moment. That's what the New Zealanders do is, is how you going? How you going? And and when you hear it, it's sort of throw. How are you going? What do you mean? How are you going? <laughs> you know, it just throws People you right say off. say that here, don't they? <laughs> well, I think it's Maybe picked it's up from be. New Zealanders. It could be. I know, I know when we moved from Canada to Australia, we learned all these new phrases and ways of, and slang words and all the rest of it. And we thought they were Australian. And then we moved to England and discovered, you no, know, about three quarters of them came from England. Mm. Oh. Yeah, that, 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 that's true. That's true. There's a, there's a lot of them like that, like um, yeah. six of one, half a dozen of the other. You know? We say uh, that. We do that, that here. Sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On, your, on your bike. In other yeah. words, get out of here, go away, yeah. um, things like that. Okay, how about, um, uh, here's one that I guarantee nobody else in the world except Western Canadians use. Skookum. Ah, skookum, yeah. That yes. What? Skookum is um, a native Indian word, and basically it means strong or powerful. Or super cool, um, impressive, yeah. exceptional. Um, skookum a... chuck. Chuck means water. So skookum chuck means rapids or white water. Right. 
There's well, it stayed in Scoot Club, Chuck. It's got Cal- it stayed in the guest house in Scoot Club, Chuck. That's a place, yeah. isn't it? It is a place. Yeah. It's also a river and it's uh, a rapids. It's a, a provincial rapids. park, yeah. so forth. But you can just say, that's really Skookum. Yeah. That's I mean, Skookum it's really bo- good. Skookum bike. Yeah. Kerfuffle. There, there's a Canadian one. Kerfuffle. What is that? That, that, means, yeah. that yeah. means to 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 cause a problem, to cause a scene, you know, yeah. to get excited, to have some sort of uh, commotion going on. They caused a huge kerfuffle. And I got out of there. Yeah, we yep. use that here too. But oh, yeah, kerfuffle's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, that's common here too. Where, where in the world can you be driving and see robots along the side of the road? South Africa. Uh, yeah. Traffic yeah, lights. Yeah, yeah. Robot. Never known as a traffic light. And if you say traffic light to somebody, you'll get this completely blank expression. Oh, say really? robot, and they know exactly what you're talking about. How about sleeping police? We went into a supermarket. Uh, yeah, sleeping. Silent cop yep. in oh, New South right. Wales. They call them silent cops. What is that? We're in, South, we're in South Africa and went into a supermarket, and they had packets of peppers, uh, a red one, a green one, and a yellow one, and they called them robot peppers. So now when we see that in Australia in the supermarket, we call them robot peppers and no one nice. has the vaguest idea what we're talking about. <laughs> That's brilliant. Great. That's brilliant. One of my favourites from the United States, and I was gobsmacked again when I heard this one, was Whoopensucker. And I haven't pronounced that correctly at all. But um, I've had a couple of people say this to me. You what? Whoopensucker. Does that mean you're full of it? No, it means something's absolutely wonderful. Uh. Mm. So it's funny because there's regional things, isn't there? You know, like in Canada, if you're on the East Coast, you'll say things differently than if you're on the West Coast and in the prairies for that matter. And I'm sure it's in most countries. It'll it'll depend. There'll be little regional uh, words that will come up. I I know I'm trying to think of, um, I know there's a giver. Is is that a pretty common one for everybody? I would think that is nowadays. Giver, meaning, you know, give it all you got when all fails sort of thing. Mm. No. I've not come across it before. No. Mm. There you are. In, in Australia, we have lots of areas that will refer to things by different names, like cantaloupes and rock melon, peppers and capsicums, yeah. joggers and runners, bathers and swimmers. That's just state by state. Botani- be different. Botani- yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Scallops. Scallops, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's Remember somebody, when we were first in Australia, somebody says, come on, bring your cozy, we'll go to the beach. Huh? Mm-hmm. What's a cozy? Togs if you're in New Zealand. Yeah, swimming ah, bathing suit. And you, you would wear your thongs in Australia, and in New Zealand you'd wear your jandals. Jandals, Yeah, yeah. Mm. And if you're wearing a thong in England, mm. you've got to have, yes, you've got to have, a, you've got to have a good body. Um, <laughs> How about poutine? Which countries have poutine? That's Irish, isn't it? No, it's Canadian. It's Canadian. Yeah, Canadian. Poutine is a disgusting mix of French fries, cheese, and gravy. Well, that, that mm, makes me think very nicely of something else. I mean, poutine to me is is an Irish um, an Irish whiskey. It's a it's a homemade whiskey, you know, like moonshine or whatever. But I get confused sometimes by um, slang in different countries. Like, for example, if I'm pissed in England, then I'm really drunk. And of course, in the states, it's to get very angry. Yeah. And somebody said to me yeah. the other day that they'd. Um, um, they've been listening to one of my audiobooks, and I said, "Great, fantastic! Thanks very much for nabbing it." Silence from him. And I thought, why did I get silent? And then I looked it up and I realized yeah, yeah. Nabbing when it. you nab or snag something in the United States, when you do something without asking or you do it on the sly. And I thought, oh, right, okay. I didn't get that right, did I? He's stolen it. Exactly. Yeah. We got a, uh, 
We got a message from a guy um, who was reading one of our books and had to Google budgie smugglers because he had no idea what Brian was wearing when he went swimming in the Antarctic because he didn't know what a budgie smuggler was. He doesn't really wear that, does he? <laughs> well, he did when he went swimming in the, in the Antarctic. I, I believe we call them Speedos. But see, that's, that's a brand well, name. Well, I, I know it is, but that is, I mean, same as Kleenex. People will often say Kleenex here. Yeah. And Hoover. Yeah, and Hoover. You're going to do the Hoover. Or, or if, you, if you're looking at a, a napkin, I mean, we used to call them serviettes. Yeah. Or is it napkins that are posh? Mm-hmm. I can never remember. One of the others um, is posh and the other one's not. I reckon napkin because you have napkin rings, not serviette rings. I don't know. You ever had a soaker with your runners? Oh no! <laughs> uh, the, the runners are running shoes. A soaker is to soak your get your your shoe or your boot soaked, and, and it's weird to me. So like you know, growing up with these words, they they mean just what they mean. And to hear other people look at the or to see other people look at you and think, what are you talking about? I got a soaker. No, I like slang that says what, what it saying. means. Mm. Yeah, so How about toque? Everybody know what a toque is. Of course. Silence. I guess they don't know guys, what to Guys, don't you think these Canadians are really weird? <laughs> oh, yes. I was just thinking that. something going wrong over there. <laughs> Brian, do you know what a Molson muscle is? A Molson muscle. Uh, Molson no. is a beer here in Canada. It's a beer belly. <laughs> so they'll say he's got quite a Molson muscle. A, a, a one pack. <laughs> I like things that are nice and straightforward. You can understand how it works, like um, Kiwi slang for um, a cooler, um, a cooler box or an esky. Mm, it's yeah. a chili bin. Chili bin. Chili yeah. bin. Yeah, that works. I like that one. Yeah, no, no, no. The Marston muscle here is a, um, a, a veranda over the toolbox. A what? <laughs> a veranda? <laughs> <laughs> that took a second. There was a delay there in computing what that meant. <laughs> Man, that's too much. <laughs> you started that one, Jim. <laughs> well, here's, here's one that's Canadian only, I'm sure, is Timmy's. Yes. And, if, sure and you know, if, if you're. Timmy Hortons. Yeah, Timmy Tim Hortons. Hortons. But, but people refer to Tim's or Timmy's. Boston cream donuts. Oh, right. I discovered wonderful. those in a Tim Hortons. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. They're my favorite. You're drooling, Jill. I know. I love them. <laughs> I'm told you never rush for the bog after a, a Tim Hortons. Rush for the huh? <laughs> Why would you do that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know what a bog is, but it's a toilet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Why would you rush for the bog? After well, you wouldn't. You'd, that's why I said you'd never rush for okay. the bog. But but you don't call it. Don't you call it a loo? Well, some places, but in other places, it's a bog, and you have bog roll if you can find any in the supermarkets, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> we call it the washroom here, but in the U.S., of course, they say the restroom. Restrooms starting to become more common here as well, but it kind of makes you laugh with it, at the name for the, it's the washroom or the restroom. What, what are you going to do in there anyway? Yeah, exactly. I'm in a restroom. What are you going to wash? What are you going to wash in? Come on. Well, you wash your hands, I guess. I mean, I hope. Well, toilet <laughs> is such a déclassé word, you see. You can't use the word toilet. I mean, I've actually... Got, 
said, where's the toilet in an American somewhere or other? And they look at me like, what? I just come from the UK and you you ask for where's the toilet? You know. They even, when, when they used to, uh, they say, I tp someone house. It's like, what, you made it into a wigwam? They, they don't say toilet paper, it's TP. <laughs> Which you can't yes. get anywhere. <laughs> so which, which of the countries that, that we're talking about use the phrase, not my cup of tea? Well, we use that here in Canada. We use it here. Yeah. Mm. There we are, international slang. Ah, we, we have something we can agree on. Now we can speak. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that people listening to us often hear a word that go, huh, what? What did yeah. you say? What's that? Yeah, yeah. Because we all have different slang words that we use all the time. It's like I said when we went to Australia. Huh, what? What's he talking about? Go to England. What's he talking about? You know, it, it's you learn different ways. And we came back from both of those places to back to Canada. We're talking to our friends and they say, what, what, what did you say? What's that? And we have to, un, we have to remove those words from our vocabulary because nobody knows what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's just what you get yeah. used to. Yeah. Yeah, Any true. other good ones? I still no. haven't heard anybody figure no. out what they're doing. I think no, the whole conversation's been bonkers. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Well, nobody's been too gobby. No. Um, otherwise, we would have all got a bit miffed with them, wouldn't we? I wonder who has the most <laughs> bizarre slang. I, I kind of think it's the UK. If you ask, well, I don't know. Australia's right in there too. Yeah. We're up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I've just been chuffed with this conversation. <laughs> that chuffed is a nice word. Do any of you guys use that? Yeah. Chuffed. Yeah, I use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I think you, you're very aware that it's it's a UK term. Um. Anyway, Grant, you mentioned Took. I think you need to let yeah. the hat out of the bag. <laughs> That's too big a hint. I don't know. <laughs> what was that? Took is one well, of those things you put in your hat. It's a knit cap. A knit mm-hmm. cap, a beanie. A yeah. knit cap. Uh, like well, a hat. Know. That's what you made. <laughs> That's yeah. a Took. You made you made a Took. How, how do you spell that? T-O-Q-U-E. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Where does that come from? I mean, that sounds French. Yeah, it, it is. comes from the French. Yeah. 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 And don't forget, Canada is French-Canadian and yeah. English. French and no, English. No, no. I've never heard of the word toque before. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, no, we, that's the only word we use for that thing you put on your head. Nothing else. That's, that's the correct word. Everything else is wrong. Yeah, I don't know how you'd describe it otherwise. I mean, woolly hat. Petit chapeau? Yeah. Petit chapeau, oui. Beanie? Yeah. Yeah, beanie is probably close, but yeah. Bobble hat? There's one, there's one, there's another, there's a greeting that uh, that uh, Australian men use sometimes. No, don't. (laughs) (laughs) How are they hanging? How are they hanging? Yeah. Yeah. Uh You hear that here too. Good luck editing this one, Jim. I know. <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, when do we stop with this? When do we pull the plug? About, about 10 minutes ago, yeah, I think. I kind of think we might have to. Okay. Well, we've educated a lot of people, including ourselves. Yeah, that's right. Okay, last chance, anyone? All right, the chance is gone. Well, that wraps it up then. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. That was great. Can we do plugs? Oh.
Oh, damn it all. I forgot the plugs. Of course, we're going to do the plugs. We're not going anywhere yet. Just for something completely different, the, I have one. Okay, turn the music down. Turn the music down. Just, just you know, don't get your knickers in a wad. All right, so four plugs. Uh, didn't just say that. <laughs> oh, Jim. Well, that's no show. <laughs> Shirley, what have you got for plugs? Oh, thanks, Jim. What a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) While everyone's in lockdown and have a bit of time on their hands, they can always go for reading. And I know we always plug each other's books. But I have in my hands a book called Bondi to the Baltic, which is about a bunch of older Australian men who drove two antique cars from Bondi to the Baltic. And uh, we actually met them in Volgograd. I was um, wandered down to the reception area of our hotel and the girl said to me, I have booked a restaurant for you and the other Australians. And I said, and who would the other Australians be? As a voice behind me said, that'd be us. So we met the Bondi to Baltic guys in Volgograd um, and over two years they drove these two, a 1920 Ford and a, a Whippet across the world and they have just produced a book called Bondi to the Baltic. You can get it through Amazon, you can get it through Booktopia and it's a fabulous adventure story of guys who just decided they had lived their lives and this is what they wanted to do. They'd always planned to do it and they did it. Wow, that sounds good. And it's published by Wild Dingo Press. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Um. Brian, what have you got? Yeah, I've got one too. Um, A lot of travellers who don't travel independently, a lot of them use tour companies, and there's one tour company which I think is going beyond and above in this time of trouble. That's Compass Expeditions, which which is set up by a couple of Australians that I know, uh, Mick McDonald and uh, Ryan, and um, they've – They've got bikes all over the world. They do tours in South America. They do tours uh, up through Russia and all that sort of stuff with you and your bike, or they've got bikes as well. So they've they've expended a lot of money to set up their little tour company. Not little, that's quite a big company. And um, they, because of everyone uh, being locked in, they had a lot of people that had already booked tours. They're giving full refunds to everybody who's booked tours. And I know that... um, when we come out of this um, cathartic uh, process that we're in at the moment, people should be getting out and doing their, their thing, whether it's using a tour company or not. And I've got to plug Compass because Mick and his team, they're struggling a bit. Mick's gone back to driving trucks to make ends meet. And um, I think they're the sort of people that we should support if we can. You know, not, As I said, not all of us travel independently. And um, if you want a, a good um, tour, uh, I've got a, I've got a plug, uh, Mick McDonald and Compass Expeditions. It's, uh, and they're compassexpeditions.com, very easy to find. Yep, I'll second that too. They're a great, great bunch of people and they're really working hard. At- I never hear a bad thing from anybody who's been on a tour with them. No, they're great. They're really good. Grant, what do you got? Well, at the moment, um, bad news on the events front, of course, because most of the events are probably going to be cancelled. We're already postponing. I shouldn't use the word cancelled. I should say postponed to a later date, later in the year or into 2021. Um, Hub UK has already been postponed to 2021, and we've got more coming that will be definitely postponed. 
Uh, Virginia is postponed to August, et cetera. So if you're interested in coming to an HU event, check out the events page. We will keep things um, updated and notified of what's going on. That's sort of fluid right now, is it, as things change? Very fluid. Yeah. It's changing. Every country's different. Um, you know, there's some countries that are in absolute, complete lockdown and nothing's happening. Uh, Quebec apparently has said that there are no events t- to happen at all until the end of August. No sporting events, nothing. Um, and those dates can change. So we're definitely thinking, well, you know, if we're able to have an event, great. If not, well, we're announcing two months in advance whether an event is on for sure or not. Um, and of course, for sure means unless the government shuts us down and says you can't. Uh, but we are taking very much the approach that a lot of our people are in a slightly older age group, uh, perhaps more at risk. And we don't want to be responsible for anybody dying or somebody coming to an event and getting sick and taking it home to their grandmother and getting, and they die, et cetera. Um, we're definitely being on the very cautious side and being very, very careful as to what we're doing. Um, so as I say, we will be announcing whatever's happening for the events. Check out the horizonsunlimited.com slash events page for the update on what's going on. And also horizonsunlimited.com slash COVID will take you right to the announcements page. So that's that's kind of where we're at. We're hopeful that some of the events, particularly towards the later part of the year, will happen. But um, the ones coming up in the next three months or so, not mm. much chance. Yeah. Well, so time we're working will tell. on alternate dates. Time will tell so that's kind where, of it. how yeah. this whole thing turns out. Yeah, we just don't know. It's, you know. Everybody that's in the events business of any kind is... I don't know. We don't know. But um, when we do postpone events to later dates, we do give full refunds if anybody wants them. Um, we'd appreciate it if you can push, roll it over towards next year because, of course, with no events, we have no income. So it helps if you just roll it over towards the next year. But send us a note if you need the refund, and we're happy to send it out right away. Mm, that's a good way to do it, though. So you can just reserve your spot by next year just by telling you, what do they do? They send you an email or something to say roll it over to, to the next year's date? Rollover is automatic unless you send us an email saying, oh, I'm canceling. Oh. Okay, then that's fine. Right. So nothing, you don't have to do anything if, you don't, if you're going to be ready for next year. And we will send out emails to everybody notifying them what's happening if you've already registered. So we keep in touch and let people know what's going on. I think it's the only way to do it. Anything else is just wrong. Mm-hmm. And I know some some companies are not giving uh, refunds. And I, I think that's wrong. So we are. Well, that's our philosophy. But the good news, we have some good news. For those who have been interested in watching the Achievable Dream series, but haven't quite gotten around to going on to vimeo.com slash Horizons Unlimited or ordered a DVD, we are going to play one chapter from one of the DVDs per week for free. Ah, nice. So how yeah. do you see that? Well, at the moment, you go to vimeo.com slash Horizons Unlimited, and um, you'll just browse through whatever you're interested in seeing, and you'll see one that says free. And there you go. Um, and also go to horizonsunlimited.com slash um, AD, and that will get you a link to whatever's free this week. Very nice. That's that's very cool. Yeah. Sam, how about you? Mm, well, um, I'd like to take the opportunity to do a little plug for my audio books. Um, one of the beauties of them is that they're downloadable. So, of course, that's just really easy to do. Um, they're available from Audible and from iTunes. And the four books are uh, 
take um, the listener through the different continents of the eight-year journey around the world. Um, the storytelling and music and um, no photos, I'm afraid, but uh, everything else is in there. So, um, yeah, if anybody um, is looking for something to do, then um, perhaps they'd have a go at my audiobooks. Um, Into Africa, Under Asian Skies, Distant Suns, and Tortillas to Totems. Thank you. All they have to do is buy your printed book and then listen to you because it's you reading the book on your audiobooks. And then they've got the pictures and the words right there and they can just follow along. Love that idea. Very nice. <laughs> Graham, what have you got? Uh, no, I don't really have anything, I'm afraid. Okay, well, I guess that wraps it up. Thank you very much, everyone. That was a lot of fun. Yep, two right. We had a good time. Yeah, it was. It was great stuff. Thanks for very much, hey, everybody. everybody. Have fun. See ya. Bye. 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 Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Graham Field lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of audiobooks and written books that chronicle his journeys. Uh, he also has uh, t-shirts and other things that he sells on his website at gramfield.co.uk. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. 